Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. I'm Dr. Irene Ying. And I'm Dr. Dori Sekraja. We're physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there's great wisdom to be learned from the stories of the people that we care for and work with every single day. This podcast gives voice to the patient and caregiver experience and what these stories can teach all of us. Today's episode is centered around caring for caregiver. When caring for a loved one with a serious illness, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the many issues that come up. Both caregivers and the healthcare team focus on the patient, and it's easy for caregivers to forget about themselves and for the healthcare team to forget to ask them how they're doing. Our guest today is Laura Lee, and she's here today to share her story about her husband, Stephen, and her experience as a caregiver for a loved one who is dying. I met Laura Lee with Stephen and continued to see Laura Lee as she worked to advocate and care for her husband at the end of his life. Laura Lee, we're so happy you could come here today and talk with us. Thank you so much. I am excited to be here. You and I met in 2014. It was a very difficult time. Your husband, Steve, had advanced kidney cancer. And I remember he was going to be my patient, and you came with him. And the way it turned out is you ended up coming back, and you and I talked as he progressed through his illness, and then you came a bit after. And I think what struck me the most about you was this intense ability to advocate for someone you loved. I mean, you and Steve had a very special relationship. Some of the stories you told me, I still remember about how you celebrated your anniversary and they were so special and touched my heart. You continued to advocate while he was unwell. And then after he died, you were on the patient and family advisory committee. You've been on Kidney Cancer Canada advocating. And so today we were hoping you could tell us a little bit about what it's like being an advocate for someone you love while they're unwell and then after they die? Well, let me say that I don't use the word advocate to describe myself. Okay. When Steve was diagnosed as having terminal kidney cancer, I just became a, a fierce fighter to see that he got what he needed or what I, in my limited knowledge, thought would be helpful to him. When I saw that wasn't happening, then I mustered everything I had in myself to try and make it happen. And in our story, and in our case, as you know, it took a very, very, very long time for us to get anyone who paid attention to the psychological journey that he was on facing his terminal illness. And I had wanted that to happen so much sooner Because the second a person is told you have a cancer that for which there is no cure and no tested treatment to really ensure some alleviation of what Mm -hmm. is to come, you are psychologically in this place called, oh my God. And if no one is asking you questions about that, and in my husband's case, he went into a very, very dark place. So when he died, I was on a mission. It was strictly a mission. You were. To see that I did whatever I could do in any way possible to help ensure that others didn't go through. What I did in terms of witnessing his 
trauma and sorrow and grief and horror at this or any other caregiver. And when you think back to when you first thought, I need to get Steve some help, when you're thinking back now, how would you do that? If you have a family member in front of them and their loved one's sick, what would you tell them to do? So here's what I would do. I would tell them to seek out patient and family support. Okay. I did not know that for the existed. longest time that such a thing existed okay. at Odette Cancer Center. I didn't. Now, we've done so much work since then, and I'm proud to have been part of that, so that there's far greater awareness of the amazing Mm -hmm. supports that are provided at this hospital, and I'm sure other hospitals similarly. Patients and families don't know. They are so brand new, and their focus is on, how do I get better? How do we turn the tide here. Everything is focused on tests and treatments. And so the whole psychosocial, like the experience that's creeping up on you kind of is subtle in some ways. So I would urge them to find out what they could find out about what's available in terms of supports and then go and seek them out. That's what I would do. And for the healthcare teams, how would you want them to get people to patient and family support sooner? What would you like them to know about what you went through? I would so love to see it as standard practice, best practice for the physicians and clinicians and healthcare professionals who are that, quote, team around Mm -hmm. the patient and their family. I would so love to see that it is absolutely first line that they are paying attention to the family who are impacted by this, to the caregiver who shows up in every one of those appointments, and that they are making sure that they know what's available for them to help support the patient. Because so often the patient can be too sick. They can't go downstairs to check out patient family support, but the family member can. In my story, We didn't feel that that part had been paid attention to at all. We got tremendous treatment, even though this cancer was rare and untreatable, but the doctor was doing everything he could to bring the best treatment option. But I don't think that we got the best care and the care around that was missing the care of who we were and what we were going through as a family. And patient and family support can provide that. How would the care have looked differently for you and for Steve at the time? How could it have looked differently? What do you envision? I think that the most important thing, and this is related to our story, Mm -hmm. although I have spoken with many other caregivers Mm -hmm. who've recounted similar tales, is that Before he was diagnosed with cancer, my husband was treated with low-grade antidepressants for five years. Mm -hmm. He had suffered an acute depressive state when my daughter went to university, out of the blue. After 30 years of being with him, suddenly here was a man who was in crises related to something in his childhood. Mm -hmm. So that what worked out through psychotherapy, and he was able to be given some antidepressants, which he was on. It was incompatible with the oral chemotherapy, or I'm going to call it targeted therapy, that he was given. So the oncologist said to him, your antidepressant is incompatible. Are Mm. you able to go off it? And Steve says, of course, because the only thing he's thinking is, I want to live longer, right? So you Mm. combine somebody who's been maintained healthfully, and you never dream this guy was on an antidepressant, and you cut that off, 
and you give them a diagnosis mm. called it's terminal, mm. and you're just going to have a trajectory where his spirit is going to go into the worst yeah. place imaginable. And that's what happened. And he was suicidal. And mm. I yeah. couldn't convey that successfully for 10 months. I fought to get attention paid to the impact on his spirit. Mm. Yeah. He might have been doing everything by the book in terms of compliance for treatment, but his heart and his spirit was catapulting to a horrific place, which I lived with on a daily basis, but couldn't get across. So how it would have looked would have been someone going, we got a patient who is on antidepressants. They can't take the treatment we're prescribing, so we need to mount a plan to support them emotionally and psychologically that was missing and in my world that was a huge error that's because his his torment his struggle his pain in dying was exponentially greater by nobody giving him permission to speak to his trauma and sorrow and grief yeah and then i wasn't able, he wasn't able to come back. He was too sick. He was too sick. He said to me, Laura Lee, when I found you, Dory, I was so excited. And I said to him, Steve, here's someone you can talk to. And he said, Laura Lee, I can't go to another Mm. doctor's appointment. I can barely get here. So then you and I ended up talking and Mm. I witnessed the suffering you went through watching him suffer. And that was just so hard. Oh, so hard. And And increasingly harder and harder because I knew what was to come. Although I'd never lived through that, I knew it was to come and my heart was breaking. I thought so many times between trying to, quote, be the nurse at home, because he was at home, he died at home, between trying to, quote, support him that way and anticipating him not being there and him not being able to talk yeah. because he was so sick, yeah. I thought, sign me into Camage. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go crazy here. The caregiver role can be so challenging, difficult, sorrowful. Yes, and I remember yeah. my daughter, because it was just us. My husband refused to have anybody come to the house yeah. except for the CCAC yeah. and eventually the Tammy Latner people who were absolutely fantastic. They would are. allow they them are to some degree to come. My daughter, who lived at home with us, one day, I'll never forget this as long as I live. It was a pivotal moment. She took her hands and put them on my shoulders, and she said, Mom, Mom, we don't know how to do this job. She saw that what was on our plate to cope with was beyond our capacity at the same time as our diminished capacity because of our heartbreak. Right. Right? But at the hospital, because we continued to go to appointments for more scans and more whatevers, there wasn't recognition. So that's what I hope Mm. for. And I think the work you've done brings that message across and it makes people aware and that this will get better hopefully in the future and now and it has gotten better and it will continue to get better to see the 
progress yeah. that has been made. I am so thrilled and so honored to have been able to get to know doctors and healthcare workers and social workers at Sunnybrook who share this absolute passion to yeah. get it better. Yes. Because they are as committed as I am. Yeah. Right? We Absolutely. just have different places we come from. Yeah. So we have made tremendous progress and will continue to. So if you were to finish the question, if only they knew, and I think you've given a lot of this to us already, but if you were to finish that question, if only they knew, what would you say? <laughs> now I'm getting emotional okay. because if only they knew yeah. that the people who come to those appointments have hearts that are breaking. I think it might influence, I know it would, some yeah. of what interaction occurs there. Because people are so, so fragile, and but they work so, so hard to be good for that appointment. Yeah. You know, everything's going great, Doc. Baloney. You know, it's it's what's behind that, that if a well-placed question, I remember it was 10 months after Steve had been diagnosed and now we had home care and this nurse, first visit, he came into the kitchen where I was and he said to me, Loralee, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. That was the first time anyone and that was the biggest gift anyone could have given me because it just was saying that he recognized it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Yeah. And I just was grateful to know that yeah. he saw me, you know? So those words made yeah. such a difference that you today doing? you still remember oh my being God. in the kitchen. and I felt enveloped yeah. in this care. Yeah. And that's, I guess, what mm -hmm. I was saying to you, I felt yeah. was somewhat missing. Well, thank you so much for that powerful story. I love that this message is going to get out. Healthcare providers want to take care of people. Yes, It's I just know. in the crazy systems and days that we work, sometimes things get lost. And it's so important for us to be reminded of the things that matter. And your story helps us to remember what's important, what to ask. And if I can just add one more thing. Yes, you because can. Because you know, as you, you call me the advocate, well, I would leave these appointments, mm -hmm. drive home with Steve, and I'd be like, well, I want this and that, right? <laughs> and he didn't ask, and, and I can't. And Steve would say, Loralee, he's doing the best he can. The patients are so forgiving. They believe they are being given the best possible. I mean, I used to be so moved when he'd say that because I thought, oh, Steve. It's generous. Oh, Very generous. It's really generous. Yeah. You said earlier that, you know, when he'd go in, he'd be on his best. And I think for doctors also, for us to remember that patients really try hard to look good for us. Our faces shine when someone tells us they're doing well. We can't hide that. And I think patients want to make us happy. That's not their job. That's not why we're there. But I think it's just a human interaction right. that happens. And yes. we have to be very conscious that they're trying to please us sometimes. Oh, so. 
to be the good patient. To be we a good have patient. this yeah. idea of what it means. So yeah. you can wait in the waiting room for two and a half hours mm-hmm. and still, oh, things are great, doc, right? Yeah. No, you just almost died out there, <laughs> felt like, right? But you yeah. muster it, right? Yeah. Even though we work with patients who are really ill on a daily basis, it's a great reminder to say, sit down, ask the patient, ask their family, how are you guys doing? Yes, we have crazy days sometimes, but it doesn't take a lot to validate and acknowledge what people are going through. That's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more that goes on in that friggin' cancer journey that is not at all related to the cell development. And I think we're lucky to have people like you who are bringing that message. Well, I really want to see people become more comfortable with talking about the harder parts. Yeah. Because we live in a world where everything is about fight the fight, the battle of cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, they fought with everything they can. So the patient can't say, I'm losing this. I'm dying here with heartbreak over this. Because they're supposed to be a friggin' fighter, right? The more we talk about the other stuff that goes on and allow people to be heard mm-hmm. and comfort them in that, the much, much better the life that they have left to lead will be until their last breath and that's the goal as good a life as possible till the last one you're like the poster for palliative care (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you you're welcome thanks so much for sharing your story with us laura lee we're going to take a short break you are listening to about empathy about empathy is recorded at wellspring Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them overcome the many emotional, social, practical, informational, physical, and functional challenges that typically follow a diagnosis. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you. About Empathy is made possible through education research and scholarship grant funding from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives of Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. Welcome back to About Empathy and today's episode, Caring for Caregiver. Giovanna and Irene, I'm really looking forward to talking about the conversation we had with Laura Lee. The reason I thought of Laura Lee to ask her to come in was when I met her in 2014, she really did strike me as someone so committed to her husband and such a forceful advocate. And that continued and it still continues today. And I just thought she brought many messages that it's so good for us as healthcare providers to remember. What struck the two of you? Yeah, I always love listening to Laura Lee talk because she's someone who, like you said, you brought her in because she's such a great advocate. There's things that she wished had been done differently, but then she also says to herself, how can I help to make that change happen. I think one of the most poignant things she said was how she met all these doctors and nurses, but it wasn't until her husband was at home and being seen by a home palliative care team and a home care nurse, that nurse asked her, how are you doing? And those words were just so impactful. And we don't think about 
doing that in our day-to-day lives, but how helpful just that brief question can be. So why is that? Why do you think it's something that people don't ask or they don't ask caregivers that question? What do you think it is? I think we're just so trained, especially as physicians, to treat the disease and not treat the person. Mm -hmm. That we're always focused on what are the blood work numbers? What are the vital signs like? And not really checking in with someone about how they're Mm. doing. And some of it might come down to a discomfort, like not Mm. wanting to open up a box that they can't really cope or manage. I feel quite strongly about that, I'm gonna be honest. I feel like as a physician, part of our skill set is to be able to talk to patients about how they're feeling and how they're coping. And you know, if you were a surgeon and you weren't good at performing a particular procedure or surgery, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm not good at that, I'm just not gonna do it. You would learn. And I think similarly with trying to communicate with patients and see how they're doing, checking in with them, that's a skill that sometimes, yes, you may not be as naturally skilled, but you do need to practice. I agree with you. And I think there's two things that someone who doesn't feel comfortable asking that question can do. I think one is just asking, how can I help you? So you ask the question, how are you doing? And then you get the answer and then it's, well, how can I be of help to you? Even if I don't have the skills to help you through whatever it is you're going through, well, how can I be of help to you? Because they're going to guide you in that regard. And I think the other thing is knowing who to ask for help. You have to be able to ask for help and say, well, I'm not an expert at this, but I know someone amazing who can really help. How many times have I done that with Dory? Because Dory's expertise is in psychosocial support. And I don't even see that as my area of expertise, but how many times have I reached out to her to say, I think you would really help someone out in this situation. So ask the question. And then if you don't know what to do, will you look for someone who can help you? That's such good advice, Giovanna. Mm -hmm. And I think it's getting to the support as soon as you Mm -hmm. notice something. Like for Steve, he was so unwell by the time I met him that he really couldn't come to clinic anymore. I do not in any way want this to seem like people didn't care because that is not the case at all. You know, people might feel uncomfortable, but honestly, I think sometimes it's system issues and those clinics are so busy. I cannot work in a clinic like that. I chose a field where I sit with people at a minimum of 30 minutes and most times 50 and a new patient an hour and a half. And that is such a privilege. And Mm. I know they don't have that time. Mm, And what I worry about is the want to do it is there. Like some people are in a waiting room two and a half hours. That's not making the healthcare providers happy. They don't want them waiting Mm. that long, but they might have someone really sick in front of them. So I think what Laura Lee reminds me of too is working on system issues Mm. as well as, I mean, you know, Irene, I totally agree with you with communication skills. I think communication for us is our scalpel. I mean, it is our tool. It's a very important tool. It's not easy for everybody, but I think everybody can learn and be as good as possible with it. But I also think she reminds me of the system issues because the people that are in our center, they care about people. They want this to be better. And it's how do we get there? Mm. You know, but her reminding us of just asking a caregiver, I just wish there was a way that the system worked differently, that there did feel 
that the mm-hmm. teams felt like they had the room and the space sometimes mm-hmm. to make this happen every single time. Mm-hmm. And people work on this. I mean, Laura Lee will tell you that, you know, she's met so many wonderful people and they are definitely interested in making this better. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel lucky working in a place that listens, mm-hmm. that says, mm-hmm. how can we make this better? What are we going to do? And of course, mm-hmm. it's a process, right? And we're lucky here at Sunnybrook. Yeah. We have a lot more resources than other, other places, places might have. But yeah. going back to what Giovanna saying about know what resources are available yeah. to you. Don't assume that there's nothing out there because the more you have those resources at hand, the more even in a busy clinic, you can say, hey, I know of this thing that I could refer you to. Do you think that would be helpful for you? Even that yeah. might be you know, a game changer mm-hmm. for the patient or their caregiver. Yeah. yeah, and I think the other gem that Laura Lee said was that Steve got the best treatment, but he didn't necessarily get the best care. And I think that says so much because you can give someone state-of-the-art, individualized immune therapy the best possible treatment. But if you're coming off your antidepressant and then you become suicidal and you don't want to live any longer, then where are the gains? Like, where's the win in that? Mm-hmm. I think as palliative care physicians, we're a bit biased, right? We always emphasize quality of life over quantity of life. And for some people, that may not be their value. Some people might say, you know what? I just want to live as long as possible. It doesn't really matter what mental state I'm in. But I think the majority of people aren't in that camp. Mm. They want to be able to live life with some level of enjoyment. Mm. So it's important to make sure that you're balancing those, those two things. She reminded us of that fullness of care, right? It's not just care of the illness, it's care of the psychological, psychosocial, emotional, spiritual, all those. I mean, she talked about a lot of that. Mm. And that is something I think all of medicine is more aware of today, but you don't change overnight. I'm pretty old. So when I was in medical school, (laughs) we did not talk about this. And so I find it so different now and wonderful. Mm. So it's just staying on message. Mm. And that whole person part of it is just to me so important and valuable. And I know there's no one who doesn't want that for their patients, right? It's just how do we get it to everybody every time. One of the other things that she brought up is how oftentimes, especially in cancer, but also in other illnesses, the language of fighting a battle or Mm -hmm. a war comes Mm -hmm. out. And that's very tricky because it's a good sort of attention grabber. But at the same time, if things aren't going well, you feel sometimes as the patient, maybe you're failing, maybe you're not trying hard enough when it's not about trying hard enough. It's about the fact Mm -hmm. that you have a really terrible disease that is incurable currently. Mm -hmm. So I try to steer clear Mm -hmm. of that language when I'm talking to patients and families. And when I hear them using that language, I try to discourage them from using it as well. Yeah, because cancer and most illnesses don't fight fair. So I mean, using that imagery of a fight while you're already in an unfair fight, that imagery when someone dies and you see their obituary and it says they lost their battle with cancer. I always feel a little sad when I read that because it implies It was by some fault of their own, which I think is disappointing. I always find that as well. I don't like to read that. Mm -hmm. She also brought up a good point, though, that patients come to us and 
put their best foot forward. Mm. So I will get a patient in the office and they are trying so hard to present themselves in a certain way that's just not how they're feeling. So we also have to be uh, aware of that. And not all caregivers and patients who go to a doctor will be on the same page. The caregiver might be thinking quality of life and the patient might not be there yet. So it's it's tricky because you're addressing the whole family, right? And they may not be at the same place at the same time. So lots for us to think about. I'm glad she came. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope that the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. We would love if you could rate and review our podcast, and please tell your health professional, your colleagues, and your friends about our show. You can visit our website, aboutempathy.com, for more information and to read the show notes from today's episode. You can also be part of our research project. We're conducting a short three-minute anonymous survey to inform us on the content you get out of each episode. Visit our website, aboutempathy.com, and click on the Take Survey button on the top right corner. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaracha and Irene Yang. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner, with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by an education research and scholarship grant through Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.